two years of COVID have produced a side effect, COVID fatigue. After a while, when you get that stress of day after day after day of hearing the news and seeing what's going on with your friends, you just start getting this fatigue that means that you get to the point where you're like, why care anymore? Why bother? Why do the things I need to do? What is the, are we still, would you still classify us as in a pandemic or is this now an endemic? I think we're way beyond that point. This whole thing was unnecessary. The, the, the killing people with ventilator protocols that the ventilator operators thought was dumb. That's, this all came from gaslighting the, the, the whole world. Uh, does it bear any resemblance to battle fatigue? You know, interestingly, it does. And, um, and I understand that. I, I have pandemic fatigue and vaccine fatigue uh, too. But knowing how effective these vaccines are, I think that, um, you know, it's just, it just seems like really clearly a good idea to get, um, to get it. So all of this, all of this is, I think, at this point in time, just to keep the alternative media talking about little stuff that doesn't matter. I think we, we have good evidence in social science that emotions are contagious. And so if, you know, if, if lots of people are, are just ready to be done with this. I, you know, I get why people are, are, are uh, tired of uh, having to think about it, but unfortunately COVID isn't going away. I, I, guess, I guess what I'm trying to communicate here is that none of this is surprising. All it does is it just gives more gas for stupid podcasts. You can see this in battle fatigue, that after a while, the stresses of battle can wear somebody down to the point where they can't do anything. We're seeing the same thing here in the pandemic where people get to the point where they say, you know, enough's enough. But lest you start to feel complacent about COVID, this advice. It's worth looking back at all the effort you've already put into keeping yourself safe, right? So if you're, if you're just going to stop indoor masking now, why did you why did you mask for nearly two years? And is it really that painful? Is it the worst thing on earth? It's still a really important public health problem. As you've said, cases are going up. We're still seeing hundreds of deaths a day, thousands of hospitalizations a day. They go, ah, they're going to function. And it's just, how, how, how about this was just the flu? Uh, and we gaslighted everybody into being terrified of it. And you're not allowed to think anything any other way at this moment in time. You have to think, now Pfizer was involved in gain of function. Why Do you guys have a theory as to why, um, e- even though COVID cases are up, hospitalizations are up, deaths are up, that vaccinations for COVID are not? After all, what's the worst that could happen? So it's a roll of the dice, essentially. You're gambling with your life. And that is a bet you really don't want to make. And it really needs to be taken seriously as a public health problem and people need to do what they can uh, to protect themselves, which is most importantly uh, to get vaccinated, to get this uh, the updated bivalent booster. The World Health well, Organization will determine your future. That's what I see. Right? It, it almost feels like the world is standing still and your life is frozen. Well, I, I think that uh, people are... You know, people have pandemic fatigue and they have vaccine fatigue. We've been so scammed for so long. It's really, and I don't know, maybe some of the wheels are coming off here, but I just no. think, I think these people get thrown out. These total idiots like this Tristan, Jordan, Jordan, Tristan. That that guy can't seriously be in an organization like Pfizer. I mean, he's there, but he even said, no, I I'm a consultant. Uh, That guy's really fishy. Yeah.
MSNBC uh, news model. Yes, this is a good story. Yasmin Fozogian. Um, she had a, quite a story. Now it's a little bit long. Yeah, it's a classic. And she had, you know, she had her doctor on for another ten minutes total. But I think we should just listen to her story. She's recognizable. You see her, like, oh yeah, I've seen her around. On December twentieth, I began to feel chest pains, and they waxed and waned over a period of ten days. I wasn't quite sure uh, what to make of it, but as they continued to get worse, I started to think something was actually wrong. Um, it was December 30th when I finally went to an urgent care and was told I had reflux. I didn't really buy it, but I was relieved it wasn't my heart. Uh, my body, though, was pretty certain uh, not to believe uh, the reflux. The next day, on December 30th, I woke up with severe pains both in my chest and in my left shoulder, and it was like a tightening in my chest when I took deep breaths. That got worse when I was laying flat. I knew enough at that moment to understand that it could mean could is the key word here, that I was having a heart attack, especially because it was happening in the left part of my shoulder. I want to remind you, I run seven miles three to four times a week, or I did. Um, I do yoga. I don't eat meat. I don't smoke. I drink occasionally. Not right now, though, because my doctor tells me I can't. Aside from probably not getting enough sleep and working too much, I'm a pretty healthy person. But on that day, I was anything but. My husband drove me to the emergency room, and from there, the nightmare that has been my January began. I was diagnosed with pericarditis, inflammation of the lining of my heart, brought on by a virus, a literal common cold. I also had fluid around my heart that had to be drained or else it could hinder the beating of my heart. I was hospitalized for four nights and transferred from a local hospital to NYU Langone here in New York City. On January 4th, I was finally discharged after doctors drained the fluid around my heart and I bounced out of the hospital. I couldn't get out of there fast enough with the hopes I was on the mend. But that was not the end. Three days later, I was readmitted when I felt a flutter in my heart, like a butterfly. It was inside my chest. They determined I had developed myocarditis, inflammation of the actual heart now, the heart muscle. I remember being shepherded through the emergency room and wondering, is this it? It wasn't, thank God. Instead, I spent five more days in the hospital where they ran a battery of tests, adjusted my meds, and made sure nothing else was fueling what was happening. And in fact, in the end, it was still just the cold that was doing all of this, that had caused all of this inflammation in and around my heart. Since then, this thing has continued to wax and wane. And the hope is I'm on the mend and on the other side now, but will be on medication for some time to come. It's not the most fun, but alas, I am getting older, and I need to admit that. And this was MSNBC. This is on her own channel. This was on the air. Yes. So instead of giving us news analysis or anything that might be of interest, we have to listen to this woman's woes. Isn't it always frowned upon to make yourself part of the story as a journalist? Yes. As a journalist? Yeah. Well, this clearly had to be some... I mean, she's just not that interested. So, so this sounds more like to me like they're doing like they're doing the little MSNBC messaging bit because of the myocarditis. Again, we mentioned this before. Something we've never heard of, Mm-mm. you know, for ten, fifteen years as a common ailment, which is now seems to be a common ailment amongst everyone who's taken. The, oh, I'm sorry, just coincidentally taken the vaccine, and. Uh, and now we have to endure listening to this nonsense. I sh- shouldn't be saying that. 
but about the common cold now all of a sudden out of the blue causing this ailment which we've never heard of for 15 years yeah and and this i'm not railing on anyone who uh who accepted the vaccine into their life but let's just be honest i think that you know msnbc i'm sure they they've all had four shots just to comply to keep your job to comply to keeping your job which maybe she didn't even want to do that but it's to me it's well listen to her surgeon or cardiologist i'm sorry who by the way has a weird guttural tick when he starts to lie listen. one man who has helped me through all of it and shepherded me through my ups and downs and my emotions and my families as well is my cardiologist dr greg katz and he joins me now um because supposedly uh, this happens and it seems to be happening a lot these days yeah. It's great to see you outside the hospital, by the way. So nice to not have an EKG in front of me to be nervous about how it's going to exactly. look. Exactly. And me not crying in front of you. Exactly. <laughs> what happened? How does everybody asks me, how does a cold go to your heart? Yeah. So it's not so much the cold itself that's going to your heart. It's the way your body's responding to the cold. And your immune system, for most of us, just takes a couple of days to clear the virus. And we have the standard runny nose, sore throat, that kind of stuff. And it's self-limited and it goes away. But for a small proportion of people, they get an overactive immune response. And they can have inflammation in lots of different areas. And the uh, inflammation of the sac around the heart, pericarditis, like you first were dealing with, is an unfortunate thing yeah. that we see sometimes. We just- the, the minute he says, oh, this is like, you know, pericarditis, you know, that's happened. And you go, you listen to it. He almost chokes on whatever is going on there. You can have inflammation in lots of different areas. And the uh, inflammation of the sac around the heart, pericarditis, like you first were dealing with, is an unfortunate <laughs> thing that we see sometimes. We've been seeing it a little wow. bit more this year than uh, than other years. But it's it's not unheard of. It's rare, but it's it's not the rarest. So to me, and they go on, they really, they wax on and wax off for another six, seven minutes. She, her immune system is not functioning because you really just need to get a little drippy nose and some sinus issues, and it just didn't work. And he's saying, "Well, it's it's up a little bit this year." You know, it's, we've never heard of this at all, man. I'm concerned about our medical advisors. Well, the medical system is really got to do something to pull themselves out of a steep dive. Mm, yeah, if possible at all. Well, it is midwinter and year three of the pandemic. Feelings of exhaustion and anxiety have been real for so many of us as the months drag on. But for some, they may have noticed there's a different type of fatigue we're experiencing now, a phenomenon psychologists are calling resilience fatigue. For more insight on this, we're joined by Dr. Vale Wright, a clinical psychologist and researcher at the American Psychological Association. What exactly is resilience fatigue? Resilience fatigue is this feeling of exhaustion that comes from the efforts of having to cope and manage prolonged stress over a long period of time, in this case, over two years. Many people are doing their best to be resilient, but with no end in sight, I think people are just kind of over it. All right. And the finish line keeps moving. I think we're told, okay, just a couple months and if we get to this point, we'll be okay. But that keeps getting pushed back. So I'm sure that's part of it. What are some of the the common stressors of resilience fatigue to be aware of? Um, So some of the things to be thinking about is the ways in which our stress impacts both us physically and emotionally. So physically, we would expect things like muscle tension, teeth grating, um, headaches, stomach aches. Emotionally, we become um, angry and frustrated, maybe even hopeless. And 
at the worst, it's a loss of empathy, empathy for others, empathy for those around us. And that empathy is really critical, especially right now. And so making sure that we're building ourselves back up is critically important. All right. And Dr. Ray, what else can people do differently sort of this time around, this wave of fatigue to address pandemic resilience fatigue, but in a healthy way? So there's always individual factors that we need to keep in mind, like making sure we're eating healthy, getting enough sleep. But we also need to look at our environments around us. Can we talk to our employer and make some changes to really support our mental health? Can we look at how things are happening within our family and ensure that we're asking for the support that we need, that people are all sharing the types of tasks that need to occur on a daily basis? So it's about individual factors and our environment. All right. Now, what's been very interesting, I think, to see over the course of the pandemic is that People's fatigue is manifesting in very different ways. You know, some are out in big crowds, surrounded by strangers, protesting the public health restrictions, while others are still holed up at home. You know, everyone is frustrated, obviously, by the pandemic, but there seems to be this divide in society right now about how to respond to it. It's almost as if you're either on one side or the other. So what are some of the reasons for these two very different reactions to the pandemic? There's probably a variety of reasons. Certainly one is the polarization that we're seeing across the country, both within our communities, but even within our families, of how we're taking a different approach to maybe managing our own individual decision-making during the pandemic. But I think what we're also seeing now is a focus away from just what individuals need to do to stop the pandemic, to looking at the ways in which our systems have actually failed us. And I think that's where you're seeing so much of this anger and frustration coming out. When we see things like supply chain or the mental health crisis, systems that we've come to rely on not being able to meet the demand of our current situation. All right. And any advice or tools that you would say to a patient of yours or someone who comes to you for help to just try and get through sort of this last mile that we're, you know, seeing the end in sight and also maybe to even be able to bridge a gap between someone who has a different view from ourselves about the pandemic? Yeah, there's a few things. One is to remember to focus on what's in your control because things are so uncertain, continue to be, and that can make us feel a loss of control. So focusing on that is important. Reminding ourselves that it won't always be like this. The only constant in the world is change. And so the pandemic will likely come to an end just as it has um, for human history as long as we've been. And then the last thing would be to really put our judgment out the door to stop judging ourselves, to stop judging others for the ways in which people may be handling things differently than you are. It's not the way that we're going to get to the end of the pandemic by judging each other. We really have to come together as a community. All right, thank you so much for your time and advice today. We appreciate it. That's clinical psychologist, Dr. Vale Wright. Business model. What's going on, y'all? Welcome to episode one, two, three of the Easy Peasy Podcast. Oh, this rhythm I've got right now of kind of clipping stuff together and then providing my thoughts on it. For whatever reason, it just seems to work for me at the moment. I'm not going to make that the formula of this show, but you know, for now there's just a whole lot of interesting stuff floating around out there in the ether, right? And I kept hearing this term that just irked me, right? Just irritated me to my core. Pandemic fatigue. People just want to move on. And they're calling it pandemic fatigue. 
Let's break that down. Are you so exhausted because of the coronavirus? Or is it something else? You know, I liked that last that last segment there where they're talking about it in terms of resilience fatigue. That I can actually understand because the the term I was going to use is bullshit fatigue. But I think even that doesn't quite cover it. You know, there's been a lot of bullshit and it's been kind of irritating. You know, the lockdowns were fucking irritating. The masks were irritating. The jabs were irritating. Being told what to do. Being controlled. Being manipulated. Being lied to. All of this combined leads to what I think is well described as resilience fatigue. You know, the bullshit's only part of it. Reality's got a lot to do with it too. You know, the reality of where we are and where we need to get to and the divide between those places. You know, this idea of resilience fatigue, I think actually could be applied not only psychologically, but medically. That newscaster lady who's describing her, her health scare of myo and pericarditis. Of course, absolutely refusing to even mention the possibility of it being vaccine related. But what it is, is it's a lack of resilience in her immune system. Like she wore it out with multiple boosters. You know, I still have yet to have someone explain to me what exactly it means to be double vaxxed and double boosted. I was under the impression that it was all the same shot. So again, like these are the things that were just so irritating and me being me, I really, you know, I tried, I tried to be empathetic and, and like she describes with this, this resilience fatigue phenomenon is that an eventual loss of empathy can result when you are so worn out and you've used every drop that you've you've got right and you just still can't make sense heads or tails of any of it it's easiest just to withdraw You know, in some ways, that's exactly what I've done. 
It's a coping mechanism. It's a survival instinct. When things get chaotic, just withdraw. Find someplace safe and hide. You know, I'll be, I'll be kind of frank with y'all today. You know, I, I'm not sure how to reconcile. It's not as easy as people think it is. But it is what I want to do. I'll just tell you, I have a, I have a family member who I don't talk to much these days. And it's really sad. It's just bad. It's not good. Nobody likes it. Nobody wants it. But that's where we're at. And I've got other family members trying to tell me how to handle it, tell me how to fix it, how to make it right, how it's all on me. And I resent that. I resent that it's all on me when all I've really wanted to do is be left alone from the beginning. Now, don't get me wrong, I enjoy being with my family, spending time with my family. But I don't like being cornered. I don't like being surrounded. I don't like being outnumbered. I don't like being controlled. And it took a very, very long time before I was able to convince them to stop trying to convince me to take the shot the clot shot the Fauci ouchie you know I'm at the point now where I just I'm like I'm still baffled but you know as I told basically the family I said you know I'll be there for the holidays I'll be there for the birthdays you know, like, if you want me around, I'll be around. It's as simple as that. You know, what sucked was that period of time where, you know, certain people didn't want me around. For one silly reason. Now, I, I'm not blameless. I haven't handled myself perfectly. You know, I've certainly at times probably over expressed myself and committed to certain opinions that weren't fully formed and fully fashioned. You know, we've all been wrong, right? We've all been duped by different stories and different headlines that turn out to be bullshit, turn out to be misleading. But some of us have actually made an attempt to sort through stuff and make sense of it. And when we get duped, we feel awful silly about it. But we can recognize it happens to all of us. Some people refuse to admit that they've ever been duped. 
you know, to keep taking these shots, to keep bombarding your immune system with more mRNA bullshit, more spike proteins, more potential inflammation to where a common cold almost kills you. As someone who supposedly was relatively healthy, but, you know, I couldn't help but notice that she said she doesn't eat meat. Seems like maybe that should be, you know, factored into the equation. But it is, it's just so, it's so... I want to say funny, but it's just not funny how they can sit there with a straight face, her and her doctor, and just ignore the elephant in the room, talk their way around the most likely possibility. I'm not saying I know anything for certain, but using logic and reason, you got to admit there's, there's a big question mark there. Did those shots have something to do with it? But they won't even ask the question. They won't dare ask the question. Not on mainstream media. You know, some of the clips that were in there, right? Most of the first kind of section there was all mainstream. And then when I slowed it down and we stayed put for a little longer with each clip, that was all alternative media people who are actually honest about not knowing everything right you ever see the mainstream media act in a way that even resembles sort of like humility uh, you know in their own ignorance no it's always a certainty you know Donald Trump colluded with Russia you know, fucking name it, whatever. I'm not going to try to list anymore, but like all these bullshit stories, right? It ain't Biden's Hunter Biden's laptop. It's another classic. No way it came from a lab. You're a fool. If you think that you're banned from Facebook, you're banned from YouTube. You know, what's irritating to me more than anything else is the simple lack of acknowledgement acknowledgement like hey yeah you know maybe we kind of like overreacted no 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 could never admit that you know it's it's those unvaccinated folks over there who overreacted you know they should have just done what we asked them to do yeah you know we might we might have oversold the the efficacy. Might have oversold the safety. You know, that's something else, y'all. I'm just, I'm starting to realize just the immense power of language. Through a simple technique of repetition, of catchphrases, you know, line for line, like safe and effective. It's a spell. 
They're casting a spell. Safe and effective, safe and effective, safe and effective, safe and effective. Might as well be in fucking Latin. Then you might be more creeped out, but it is a spell. They're casting a spell on the public. This this magical thing called gaslighting. You cannot think for yourself. You know, it's like the Jedi, the Jedi, you know, mind trick, right? These are not the droids you're looking for. These are not the droids we're looking for. You know, people will just repeat it like a like a mockingbird and just chastise anybody who has the audacity to question. And everybody loses. Everybody suffers. We all get to this point of feeling this resilience fatigue. And to be perfectly honest, the, the cherry on top of the sundae I know I'm verging on being a little too personal. And as Adam Curry said earlier, it's not very professional to make yourself part of the story, but it became clear to me the other day that that my family doesn't quite have faith in my business. They'd like me to Think up a plan B, something more based in reality, something predictable, something with benefits, 401k, all that stuff. And to be honest, it really pissed me off. It's not really the first time I've had to tell them I don't care what doubts you have. Let me worry about me. I know what I'm doing even if you don't think it. Am I perfect? Have I made every perfect step? Have I grown this business overnight? Hell no. I joke sometimes that I only know how to learn the hard way. But that's okay. That's that's how it is. That's how I am. You know, it's just... I, I apologize, guys, for letting you in on some sort of family... dirty laundry. But I'm sure I'm not the only one. You know, I think I think a lot of folks out there probably have very, very similar similar feelings, right? And it just wears you out and it's it's perfectly natural to withdraw, but you can only do that for so long before you start to feel like a coward. You know. That's why I show up. That's why I go to dinner. Even though I know the conversation might be irritating and uncomfortable. 
I go to Christmas, even though I don't have, you know, a lot of gifts to give. I just, I just want to be there. Ideally, I don't want to have to explain myself too much or, you know, I even told him, I said, it's just a, it's just, it's something a lot of people don't think about. But when you, when you work for yourself, right, and you're trying to build something up and it's hard and everybody's first question is, how's business? But you know, they don't want to hear how hard it is. So you just say, good, it's going good. You know, growing it little by little, stuff like that. They don't realize that's kind of a, it's like asking, you know, it's a very intimate question. Especially if it's not outwardly apparent that it's going really good. I have faith in this business model. I am I am coming out of my off season. So it's just, it's one of those things, guys, where it's like a punch in the stomach to have people vocally express doubt in what I'm doing. It's like a punch in the gut. Fuck. You know, there's been a lot of punches in the guts. You know, one thing I am, luckily, is resilient. I like to think, even though I'm not as well prepared or as self-sufficient as I would like to be, I am self-reliant. I take care of myself. Right? And working towards more and more self-reliance more resiliency. You know, I had, I had to say at one point, I, yeah, you know, my plan B, I have three plan A's and I'm following all of them. That's what I told them. I said, all of what I'm doing is connected. The writing, the podcasting, the gardening, three plan A's. What do you want me to have a plan B for? You know, my plan B is to put a pack on my back, sling my rifle on my shoulder, and go live in the woods. I know that sounds cheesy, but it is a short-term bug-out plan. And frankly, I've got people that live adjacent to the woods. So I could live on foot and kind of jump around and help people out if I had to. You know, of course, that sounds insane to say out loud to some people, but not to me, not when we've got Chinese spy balloons flying overhead that could very well be holding an EMP. You never know, guys. You never fucking know. So is it really reasonable to have a plan B that is, you know, totally dependent on everything staying the same like what do you think the money in your digital bank account is worth 
There's no gold. You know, there's barely any bills. I want to say like 5% of U.S. currency maybe is in physical bills. You'd have to check that number for me. But what does that number even mean? What, what security does that give you in the real world? That's my plan B is to, to live physically analog, feral, back in the, in the environment that we came from. But until then, plan A is to create the environment that I want. To build a business, to buy a property, to build the gardens, to build the house, to create my own space, be my own lord, That might sound kind of high and mighty. I'm not saying it in like a religious way. I'm saying it in like a king of my own fucking castle way, right? And it's super, super irritating to hear people say, well, I don't know, maybe you should think about changing your, your, your plan. You know, it's a little different what you're trying to do. I think you should maybe do something a little normaler. It's like, fuck you. I don't want that shit. Thank you very much. You know, I've just reached my limit with the bullshit. With the tiptoeing around the truth. With the pretending that nothing ever happened. That nothing was done. That some were, some were right and some were a little less right but still right. Mm-mm. You know, moving forward, I just, I, I want to be around people who want me to be around. People who know that what I'm doing has some value. Not those that want to discourage me pisses me off takes an awful lot of resilience to be courageous takes even more to stand up to discouraging words people are so fearful so hesitant so unwilling to break out of the the common Narrative, the psychological psychosis, the mass psychosis, groupthink, hive mind. We were never supposed to be connected with more than maybe a couple hundred other souls. Now we're connected like bees in a hive in the thousands and millions and billions. If you're in the middle of the swarm, you are not thinking. You know, when a bee colony reaches a certain point, maybe this is a decent metaphor, it will split, it will divide. Then you have sort of a rogue colony of bees 
That's what you call a swarm. And they're looking for a place to settle. And when that happens, little scouts will go out looking for possible locations. This is a really miraculous whole process, and I don't know as much about it as I'd like, but there is a selection process that is, from outwards appearance, sort of chaotic. But when you, when you see the patterns, you recognize that there is an inherent democracy to it, or maybe better better word than democracy would be consensus. There is a process by which they reach consensus and settle a new location, a new hive, and begin constructing it. What do you think we're going through right now, y'all? This is a great decoupling. We are splitting the hive. Not just once, not twice, thousands of times over. The empire is collapsing and what will remain are resilient people in resilient communities. It's as simple as that. Right? So what do we do? We build our capacity for resilience in all ways. You know, if we're already fatigued, if we got nothing left to give, then we weren't very resilient to begin with. You know, I know the sensation, I know the feeling that that psychologist was talking about because I have felt it. You know, there were a couple periods where I just didn't want to see anyone, didn't want to go out in the world, just, just tapped. So I know what she's talking about, but in the broader sense, I think we, we've got a deep, deep well of resilience inside of us that we have yet to even begin to utilize because we haven't had to. You know, when the day comes that we have to, that's when you find out who, who's got the grit, right? Who's got the right stuff. And I'm not, I'm not proclaiming that as a, as a certainty, right? Perhaps we, we just go on, we kind of get through this weird you know, little fucking time we're living in, these, these interesting times, and things stay somewhat the same afterwards. But I don't, I, that's not where I'm putting my money. I really do sense that we're heading towards something bigger. You know, national divorce is a word or a phrase rather that's been floating around. You know, secession, autonomy. Me, I like the idea of an enclave. I've talked about this before, but it's been a while. An enclave is sort of a geographic territory. That is autonomous and surrounded on all sides by 
other territory. So a good example would be the Vatican, right? Is an enclave within Italy. Autonomous, but but within. I would like to see an enclave of maybe about 50 mile radius or so. A loose federation of private property owners that just decide one day to declare themselves autonomous. You know, it doesn't have to be some big to do, but perhaps the strength in a certain number of families in a certain location would be enough to say, you know, we're kind of done with what y'all are all talking about. We're just going to do our own thing. Um, please, please, please don't bother us. But if you do, just know that we we practice the Second Amendment. You know, we declare that your income tax is no longer legal within our enclave, as it was never legitimate to begin with. We uh, don't necessarily care for any of your services either. We'll take care of ourselves. Uh, that includes the roads. That includes, you know, sewage, water, everything. I mean, you cannot do this without being truly self-sufficient. I'm not saying you have to produce literally everything. You know, we're not putting up a hundred foot wall, but it means that this group, this tribe does need to have means of production and, and income ways of trading with other people outside of the enclave networks. It cannot be done in a vacuum, right? You know, to be in an enclave is not to be in a bubble. You still are within the greater economy around you, but legally, I think it's within our rights to to be free people within this nation, unbeholden to any any government that we don't choose for ourselves. Right? it's very lofty it's very hopeful but I think culturally we could kind of get to that point if enough people have enough faith in each other right that's what this takes I've always been more interested in skills and networking and purchasing tools than I ever was in having money in the bank I've always been more interested in experience, right? Living, having friends. You know, last night I went to Monster Jam. It was fucking awesome, y'all. Saw a gravedigger crash. It was like, fuck yeah. Just had some fun with a couple of buds. And we had a ball. You know, and it's like, it's like, why are monster trucks cool? Because they would never exist anywhere else. It's the epitome of like, why does the dog lick himself? Because he can. In this country, 
Our culture led to monster trucks. And they are hilarious and stupid and over the top to the maximum. And that's why they're so freaking cool. That's why little kids just love it. You look around, it's mostly kids, you know, and they're all just engrossed. Jaws dropped, eyes open, watching these trucks fly through the fucking air, doing flips and all kinds of shit. Do you think that would happen anywhere else? I don't believe it would. I love it. I love it. Light beer, pretzels, and monster trucks. What a Saturday. You know, and that was the that was the medicine I needed after what was an emotionally upsetting Friday night. To an extent. And I'll say after dinner with the family, I went and saw a dear friend whose birthday it was, played some poker, so it wasn't altogether a terrible night. And even the conversation itself wasn't altogether terrible. It's just kind of it's like it's like 99% of that conversation was productive and then it was just punch in the stomach to hear yeah maybe you think about changing your your strategy what do you mean like shutting down easy peasy you know that's not what they said but it's what they meant i'm just like fuck off it's an unacceptable decision. Unacceptable recommendation. Have a little faith. Have a little patience. You know, I'm not on the street shooting up heroin. I'm a productive member of society. And I'm getting sick and tired of this bullshit. Hmm. Sorry guys. Yeah, I know. I know I'm just kind of letting, letting you have it here, letting it out. It's just apparent, you know, it's apparent that some people will support you and have, you know, have faith in you and others just won't. Some people think they know what's best for you, I guess. Think you're living a little too free. I don't know. It's not quite like that. I fear that I might be, in some ways, being unfair, right? Parents, you know, they just want what's best for you, but sometimes what's best is just to say, you know, good luck. And we're we're here if you if you want to have dinner next time. Right? Simple as that. You know, I hope I I hope I'm not being unfair. I'm not trying to drag anybody under the bus. I'm just trying to be honest. You know, I love my family. And I understand, right? Like I can empathize. I can I can understand why they just want resolution. 
you know, peace, normalcy. I'm kind of a loudmouth. They'd rather I did, you know, that I wasn't. I understand that. I'm not gonna necessarily hold it against them, but you know, when it comes to kind of sticking up for yourself, right? Takes a lot of energy. But I think the more you do it, the easier it gets. You know, in terms of sort of my high and low points during the last few years, it's kind of like I was lowest when I had a lot of self-doubt. It didn't really matter one way or the other what other people thought. It's just more about how I think. And there were times where it's like, am I a jerk? Should I go get this jab? Am I being, you know, paranoid about it? You know, is the possibility of an adverse event really there? Or is it just sort of this like myth or this, this uh, rumor? Because we started hearing about myocarditis pretty darn early, didn't we? I haven't forgotten. We started hearing about concerns about, you know, reproductive consequences pretty darn early. Now they're talking about, you know, menstrual stuff. But then again, you know, like like Adam Curry from No Agenda in the clip earlier said, he says, you know, it's possible that a lot of this stuff that we get up in a spin about could just be distraction. You know, to keep us focused in the wrong direction. So, I can't claim to know for certain any which way, but I think I think it is worth doing, you know, this this sort of unrelenting, you know, stubborn perseverance, this gritty unwillingness to give up. That's the only way to build a business. It's the only way to build a, a life worth living if you ask me. You can't bend to your doubters, right? As long as I don't doubt myself. I mean, of course you have to have that that sort of self-regulating voice. You know, to say no self-doubt would be absurd. We we doubt that uh, you know, you'll survive jumping off the edge of a skyscraper. That's a survival instinct. That's not the type of self-doubt I'm talking about. You know, I think we all have this compass sort of in our gut, right? Or in our heart. I'm not sure which. And when it's pointing the right direction, you can feel it. When you're on the right track, when you know what you're doing is what you're supposed to be doing, that compass is sitting at dead north. It's almost like magnetism. You know, to 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 say that my plan might need a backup is to assume that I ever really had a plan to begin with. You know, just like writing my novel, it's like I didn't plan it. It just just kind of worked out that way. One thing led to the next thing led to the next. <coughs> but I'm pretty darn sure 
that it's what my compass was pointing me to do. All right, y'all. I think that is about it. Hope that wasn't too rambly, but I think you know what I'm on about. You know, really, we have to we have to build that gritty resilience within ourselves. As many of us in the community say, nobody's coming to save you. But if you like this show, you know, I never say this, but it, it it's true. The best things you can do to help out. Hit the like button. Write a review. Share with a friend. But if you would like to donate to the Easy Peasy Podcast, please go to easypeasygardens.com slash donate. Thanks for listening.